0: You may be seated. Well, hey, I would love for you to give Robin Davis a warm welcome, <laughs> Calvary Chapel surprise welcome. I know many of you uh, have already connected with Robin, particularly ladies who've been on women's retreats the last year, but, uh, uh, and a couple weeks ago, Robin uh, led worship here in my absence, and, and I know that uh, you were blessed in. I'm, the reason I'm saying this is because Robin has um, become a part of our full time ministry staff here at Calvary Church. <laughs> about a year ago, the, the pastoral staff started talking about the need for a, um, an, uh, an executive administrative assistant, somebody to, to do the nuts and bolts kind of stuff that, that many of the pastors either don't have time to do or. Quite honestly don't know how to do. And, and, um, and it took us a year because we didn't have an administrative assistant to help us get there. Does that make sense? Yeah. But thank the Lord. Uh, Robin has come on board in that capacity and we're blessed to have her. I also want to bring greetings to you from Pastor Brett. Uh, as you know, he is in the Sudan, has been there a week now we, uh, I was with Christina uh, on Monday this past week, and she received a phone call from him right then and there, and it was kind of cool. He had just arrived, had been traveling for two and a half days, and had just arrived there. And so uh, that was a good phone call, and I guess uh, Pastor Allen received a call from him on Friday. All things are going well. He is... Um, uh, both enjoying his experience there and in awe of what God is doing. And that's an awesome thing to be in that place, to be a part of the Lord's work there. So I bring you greetings from him. He'll be back next weekend, uh, exhausted more than likely. Um, and also, uh, a word about uh, our Utah missions team. As you know, they left this past week as well to, to go to Utah to help with a, a Bible school in a, in a young church there in the midst of, uh, of, a, of a community that is um, surrounded and filled with people who uh, perhaps know of Jesus but don't know him personally. And so uh, we'd ask you to pray specifically for Pastor Tony because he had uh, a serious infection on his leg and thank the Lord he provided the opportunity for him to go and um, he's doing well. So uh, continue to pray for them and for Pastor Brett. Well, last week we, we uh, begin to unpack, began to unpack uh, a bit about spiritual gifts as expressed in the New Testament, and I'd like to continue that this morning, and we have a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to move very quickly. I want to make sure that each one of you received a handout that looks like this on the way in. If you did not... If you did not, would you raise your hand, and we'll make sure that you get one. This is a resource that I'd love for you to just, you know, hang on to, maybe tuck into your Bible and keep there to refer to in the future. Keep your hand up until you get one. Thank you so much, folks, for passing those out. We're going to start in Romans chapter 12 this morning, and we're going to camp there pretty much all day this morning as we dig in a little deeper. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to begin with verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I I urge you, brethren, That's pretty intense language, isn't it? I urge you, brethren, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? That's that's the thing you have to ask every time you see that word. What's the therefore, therefore? Well, it's in reference to all that Paul has said in the first 11 chapters of of this glorious letter. It's about the grace of God and how God has... has, uh, uh, Bought us back. He has satisfied the law in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's empowered us to live according to his spirit. He is, uh, he's provided salvation on every level for us. And the Apostle Paul writes, In light of that incredible gift, I urge you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. A holy sacrifice. That means set apart. 100% yielded. And he says, this is your reasonable service of worship. In other words, this is really kind of honestly, let's think about this for a minute. Almighty God taking on human flesh, loving you individually enough and collectively to die, the Lord of life, willing to die in our place that we might live with him in eternity. Wow. You can't wrap your your mind around that. At least I can't wrap my pea brain around with that. And and he says this is laying down your life as a living sacrifice is your reasonable service of worship. In other words, that's really the only response that makes sense. Verse 2. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I love uh, J.B. Phillips' translation, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't live like, don't think like, don't act like the world. Instead, learn to think differently. Proverbs 23 Verse 7 says, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. That's the truth, that what we think gets worked out into our lives. How we think gets worked out into who we are. The Apostle Paul says, make sure you transform your mind. Learn to think differently differently. That you may prove what the will of God is. And then he says, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. There are those who believe that that's three different levels of the will of God. There's the good will, and there's the the, uh, acceptable will, and then there's the perfect will of God. Well, the truth is the will of God is all of that, right? Yeah, it is all good, pleasing, acceptable, and perfect. Now let's go on, verse verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted each a measure of faith. In other words, be humble and be honest. That's what sound judgment means. Be honest about this. Get an honest account of who you are. If you have an inflated idea of who you are... (laughs) I'm sorry, but you're only going to be ending up deflated because uh, that's not not reality. So get a grip on that. Verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. There are different members and there are different functions. And I want to pull out this word function. It's the Greek word praxis. You ever heard that word before? Praxis? Okay, it is, it is the doing of, or the doing, or the, the actual deed. It's activity that is natural to the person or th- thing. It's, it comes naturally to the person and how they're designed. In other words, uh, in a Brooklyn accent, you would say, Hey, this is who I am. It's what I do. You know, you've heard it said that we are human beings, not human doings, but doing springs up out of who we are. It springs up out of our being. An example of this is the fact that, that um, a hammer is not designed to drive a screw. Therefore, it does not do a very good job of driving the screw because it's not designed for that purpose. A garden hose doesn't conduct electricity because it's not designed for that purpose, but it does carry water well, whereas a wire conducts electricity but doesn't carry water very well. It's they're designed to do the job. That's what this idea of function is about. It's, there, um, it's innate within how the person or the thing is designed now this week we took our dogs to the vet Um, (laughs) I we have we've ended up with three dogs I don't know how it just happened and um, one of them is older and two of them are puppies Um, the next slide shows these two puppies at six weeks old and they're guess what they're black and they're white and their personalities are just like that. Total opposites. The black one is, hey, everything's great. I'll lay to here all day long. And, and the white one is, busy as busy can be. Uh, you just cannot stop this little guy. Well, um, this mellow one is content to uh, just lay around and look cute. Okay? <laughs> but the white one, the hyper one, is designed for something different. You'll notice he's no longer pure white. Look at all those freckles he's got on. I don't know if that's because he's mischief or not, but freckles mean something, right? And, and the reality is, is that the vets, we, we asked the vet, how do we, we've got to do something about this hyperactivity. Um, we, we're not quite sure what to do. We're pulling our hair out. And And is there some medication, please, that we can, (laughs) and his response was, I think he needs a job. (laughs) Seriously, he's built in such a way innately, he needs to be doing something. If he has a purpose for his energy, then he'll be all right. I, we've got to figure that out, and we've got to figure it out fast. So if any of you, anybody has an idea of what kind of job we can give our dog, that would be great. <laughs> Bottom line, that's this, this idea of praxis. It's the idea of this function. It's an activity that comes natural because it's part of the purpose and the design of the individual. Verse 5. For so, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We're different. Yes. Yes. And that's as it should be. But we belong. We underscore belong to one another. We're better together than apart. Kind of like peanut butter and jelly. Or, hey, the Beatles, right? Better together than apart. Better together than apart, kind of like, remember the cooking we did last week? The baking Ingredients are a whole lot better together in their proper proportion than apart. Now, verse 6 Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. Since we have gifts, not since we want them or since we can get them, since we have them, God has absolutely given each one of us a gift or gifts, that, and we are created to operate within them. Let us exercise. Last week we said that's an order, right? It's, and it's a, we obey not out of reluctant compliance, but we, we, we obey that order out of a joyful discovery of who we are created to be. Accordingly. Accordingly is what the cooking demonstration was all about last week. Remember that? It's about every single part in its proper time, in its proper proportion, working together to create the whole that is better than the sum of its parts. If prophecy, this is the first of these gifts, and I like to call these motivational gifts because it talks about how an individual is created and why they think the way they do, why they do the things they do, why they operate. That's the word function. Why they operate the way they do. And it has to do with motivations, God's God's innate design in each one of us. Now, if that gift is if prophecy, let him exercise it according to the proportion of his faith. Prophecy here, the word prophecy simply means to declare the truth. The word according means in respect to or corresponding to. The word proportion means a part or a share in relation to the whole. So with respect to the whole or in light of being a part of the whole, the right relationship to what? To faith. Now, what is faith? What is faith? Let me tell you right now, if you, if you don't have this on the tip of your tongue, memorize Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. Now, this speaks of assurance and conviction, Both are required for the free and full exercise of the gift of prophecy. Because you see, prophecy deals with the intangible. Matters of truth and understanding, justice, holiness, right and wrong, and motives. Take a look at the handout with me. Now, we do not have time... to to dig into this 100%. So I'd encourage you to take it home and, and take a look at these things. Read it through and see, find out what fits for you and find out what fits for those around you. The truth is some of us have difficulty recognizing the gifts in ourselves, but others will be able to say, yeah, that's you, buddy. Because they see you at work. They see your life as it is worked out and are able to identify various characteristics. Now, we could list these characteristics. I, you can all read, right? Okay, if you, do, if you can't, you know somebody who can. And so, so um, take some time to read through this. But I want to look at the functions in the church when they are walking in the Spirit. Take note that each of us are gifted because we are we have been born again God has indeed gifted us each with with one or more of these gifts now we as believers have the opportunity to walk in the spirit or walk in the flesh that's the reality of our humanity And that's what a good portion of the New Testament is about. It's about helping us learn to walk in the Spirit, to live according to God's best intention for us. So here I'd like for us to take a look at what the gift of prophecy accomplishes in the church, how it functions within the church when those individuals are walking in the Spirit. They protect and they defend the reputation and the plan of God and His church. They speak the word of God in spite of the consequences. That's very, very significant. They use scriptural truth to authorize their insights. They're not loose canons. They're not people out here uh, pronouncing judgments. They, they They are people who take the word of God seriously and back up their insights according to the word of God. They discern spiritual activity in a group, in group settings, and may sense judgment or change when others are unaware. Maybe, maybe you have experienced this. Maybe you know somebody else who's experienced this. They walk into a room, into a church service, and they, they smell a rat. They sense something's not exactly right here, and not, maybe not quite sure what it is, but they sense something's going on. It could be. It could be, um, uh, perhaps, a, a sense of, of God doing something in a larger in a larger sense in the body. Um, it, it could be uh, an individual uh, thing happening with an, a a person or persons, or or a, a phrase that's said in the teaching that gets skewed in the way in the life of the church whatever, they sense that. They're willing to expose perceived unrighteousness to maintain the purity of the body of Christ. Willing to expose perceived unrighteousness. Now, that's, that's because it's about what they, what they see, what they experience. They perceive it. They're capable of strong action in effort to protect persons from undiscerning decisions. In other words, they are those who are willing to take uh, perhaps extreme actions to to protect an individual from going down a road that they know will only land them in distress and destruction. That may be true of an individual and may be true of, of an entire body of people, but they are willing to go to extreme measures for that. That's how they operate within the the body of Christ. And let me say this. This is not an exhaustive list. It's an attempt to compile um, the the general sense of of how these gifts operate. Let's go on. I know we're skating very fast, and I'd love to dig in deeper, but we we don't have time to do that this morning. Perhaps another time. Um, Verse 7. If service and is serving... Or he who teaches in his teaching. And then verse 8, he who exhorts in his exhortation. Notice that these three verses, um, (laughs) these three verses are are unique in this list in that they they speak of, well, this in service and serving, in teaching and teaching, in exhortation and exhortation. Um, It's not real descriptive because these gifts are the fulfillment in these gifts is found in the practice of doing them. It's it's not in what they produce. Service, we talked about service. The word service, diaconia, last week, right? And the Christianese word for that today is deacon, right? Okay, so it would translate, um, if deacons... In their deaking, right? Yeah. It's a now this service is a hands-on kind of gift. It's a very um, let me get dirty with you kind of uh, experience, or let me get dirty for you. Take a look at this at the um, at the pamphlet again. The next page, service. These again, these general characteristics are of, of individuals that, that I invite you to read this through, and I know some of you will just check out and just do that right now, and that's okay. It's about um, it's it's about learning here. Okay, the function of the per, of the person who is motivated by service in the church, when they are walking in the Spirit, they enable the smooth operation of a gathering of believers. The smooth operation of how things happen when we get together. Did you know that that the chairs in this configuration, regardless of what the Darwinists believe, did not just happen to get into this order? (laughs) Somebody, somebody came in here and put them in this order, and they straightened the rows before, before the weekend. They love to work behind the scenes, these, these persons who are motivated by service. And it's about, it's about helping things happen, uh, help, helping the church work smoothly. Uh, this, this stage was filled with, uh, it, it was, there was a musical here on Friday night, children's musical. None of this was here. But lo and behold, poof, it, it just, it just, these things happened to appear on Saturday morning. How did that happen? Well, there were service-oriented people hanging around, doing their thing after the play to make sure that things got put back together. They add a sense of hospitality to the gathering by making sure all needs are met. This is dangerous right now, but how many of you are cold right now? Okay. How many of you are too warm? Okay, there's a few each place. How many of you are just right? (laughs) Yeah. That didn't happen by accident. Somebody's monitoring the temperature in this room because they are concerned about things working well for for the gathering of believers. They ensure the efficiency, effectiveness, and economical function of the operations of the church. Hmm. They're worried about efficiency, and effectiveness and the economics and making sure it all works together well they invite others to be involved in serving and they disciple them they provide soft-spoken accountability for the physical and economic resources of the church they're not going to stand up front and say that's a waste of money but they will come alongside and say, you know, I think we could probably be a little more efficient in the use of the Lord's resources in this area. Protect, they are protectors of the church property. They're advocates for other servants. They identify the physical needs of people and of property. That's who, who how they function in the body of Christ. And again, this isn't exhaustive, but it is, is a, an attempt to open up the windows on, on this particular gift and others. Let's go on. If teaching, in his teaching. Now, this word, didasco, in teaching, it means to instruct by word of mouth, it's not the instruction of learning by doing. Do you understand the difference? um, This is a person that is probably more inclined to stand up and lecture than than they are to get in the trenches and say, let me show you how to do this. Now you do it. And now you teach somebody else. That's not who they are. That's That's not what makes them tick. Let's look again briefly at the handout. their functions in the body of Christ they validate the teachings of others by measuring what is taught against established systems of truth or doctrine in other words they're the watchdogs they're the watchdogs for what is said in behind a pulpit they're going to make sure everything is on the straight and narrow they keep the church from being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, to to quote uh, the Apostle James. They guard against Scripture being taken out of context, and they test the knowledge of others who teach. Do you realize that, I I think, perhaps it's our proximity to, to the sun cities, but we have quite a number of retired pastors in our congregation. And for anybody who gets behind this pulpit, that's a scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> but thank the Lord for them, because they are, are, are people who have studied much of their lives, have ministered in a way that, that has brought fruit, and they are testing, if you will, what is being taught against the scriptures themselves and against the established doctrines of the church, which have their birthplace in the scriptures. And that's terribly, terribly important for us as a body of believers because we don't want to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. I'm going to get out on a limb here. Several, about, I don't know, Ten or fifteen years ago, there was a there was quite honestly, I think you could call it a, a wind of doctrine that swept through um, many churches, um, particularly in Canada, but but throughout the U.S. as well. Do you remember um, people talking about um, laughing in the spirit? Yeah. And there was all sorts of different kind of weirdness that happened with that. People making animal sounds, quote unquote, in the spirit and so on and so forth. Well, that's a wind of doctrine. And those who are teachers in the church are ones who would say, wait a second, I don't see that in scripture anywhere. Let's get back to the center here so that we can stay on track. That's their function in the body of church in the body of believers. They convey the truth of Scripture in ways that are easily understood, and they inspire hunger for the Word of God. They equip others to study the Scriptures. Do you know there's a method to studying the Scriptures, or methods that are very, very helpful? And you can learn them, and teachers know what those are and are able to convey those to you. They're fulfilled by creating clear, orderly explanations of the truth. Um, You might see in the the general characteristics, they they love to create diagrams and and charts and and put it all together so that you can see it plainly. That's that's who they are, and that's their role in the church. Let's go on. Verse 8. He who exhorts in his exhortation. Now, The word exhort here is a compound word. That means two words crammed together to create a new meaning. The first part of the word, well, let me just say it. In the Greek, it's parakaleo or parakaleo. Para means to the side of. Kaleo means to call or help or comfort at the side of. Somebody who comes alongside and helps and calls, beckons and encourages another. This is the person who helps. We, we, remember we talked about teaching being those who, who are, are it, by word of mouth. They teach by word of mouth. This is the person who teaches by coming alongside. Now, there is another word, Greek word in the New Testament that sounds an awful like, lot like this. Paraclete. Paraclete. You, have, have you ever heard that word? That's the Greek word for the Holy Spirit, or one of the words used for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And it means comforter. Um, look with me at, at John 14, 26. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, and the word helper is paraclete. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. It's a come alongside kind of ministry that the Holy Spirit has. And that's who the exhorter is. Now, again, let's take a look at this real quick. The exhorter, turn the page, functions in the church when walking in the spirit. They stimulate and motivate others to grow to maturity and not settle for second best. What is settling for second best? It's mediocrity, right? Settling. And these are the people who are are, are, are out there saying, no, we can do better. We can do better. You can do better. And it's not a judgment thing. It's an opportunity thing. And they want you to experience the fullness of that opportunity. When teaching, they use stories, examples, to en- and, st- and examples to enable application. You can underscore application there because application is the big deal for the exhorter. They, t- they, they, they want to say, well, they can, if you teach all day long and nobody gets anything out of it, then you've wasted your breath, okay? They are saying, we got to apply this. It's got to get worked out into your life if it's going to be of any value to you. They enable others to see growth opportunities in every circumstance. You ever had a, an experience where perhaps you've experienced a loss or or a grief of some sort. Maybe, maybe it's, um, maybe you are confronted by um, somebody who is belligerent, and, and you're, you're kind of at loose ends, and, and an, an exhorter comes along and says, you know, this is really an opportunity to grow, This isn't just about your grief. It's about an opportunity to go deeper with the Lord or to learn a new way of doing things. It's an opportunity, not a calamity. They encourage engagement and they guard against stagnation. Get involved. They're the people who are out there saying, come on, you can do it, get involved. They... Mediate, enabling harmony between different groups in the church. They're the ones standing in the middle saying, I hear you saying this and I hear you saying that, but they're not all that different. There's a lot of common ground here. We can get together on this. They're peacemakers. They emphasize moving forward as the body of Christ. Instead of being stuck in the past and talking about how it was back in the day and how we loved it and it was awesome then wasn't it couldn't it be like that again they're saying "Well, wait a second no because god has us here and now and he's doing a new thing and it's time to leave the past in the past and move on not necessarily saying we disrespect the past but they're saying we don't want to live in the past we want to live fully in the present They provide comfort, encouragement, motivation, direction, discipline as needed. They are the folks who are standing alongside, encouraging, and if, hey, if you need it, they'll give you that kick in the pants. Okay? Let's go on. He who gives with liberality... Gives is another um, compound word. Metadidomi is the word. Meta means in association with. And didomi simply is to give. To give in association with. That's the idea here. Another way to say that is to share. To share. Because you'll, you'll note that the giver. Desires connection or association with those who are receiving it's very important to them Because they are sharing what is a part of them Not simply an acquired resource It's not enough for them to say well. I gave my five dollars at the office. I'm done No, they want to know how that's being invested consequently Accountability is important to them for the proper and intended use of the gift. They're going to follow up and make sure that it's being used well. Now, note here, Paul says the giver with liberality. He who gives with liberality—it's a different word—and it it has the connotation of simplicity, generosity, and sincerity. In other words, not having an ulterior motive. This instruction is important for the giver in light of the fact that they desire accountability for the gift. Paul is very clear in understanding that, that if, if the giver is motivated and needs wants that accountability, chances are there's a good chance they are going to huh, want to manipulate a little bit with that. That's not what Paul is saying. Liberality means with sincerity, with no strings attached. It doesn't say there's no accountability in follow-up, but it is to say it's yours. I'm I'm sharing this with you. It's yours, and I want you to experience it. Let's look at the giver in in the church. They uh, They use giving to motivate others to give. They know the value of generosity. You see, the value of generosity is not just the value of the gift given. It's, um, there is a lot more to generosity in the experience of it than the resource itself because it, we, we experience the love of God, we experience the, the over, uh, overarching care of, of the Lord, His attention to detail, etc. That's that's all a part of, of uh, generosity. They emphasize the seriousness seriousness of the tithe and the value of sacrificial giving. They seek to educate and equip others to manage their personal resources well. They scrutinize the investment value of ministries to ensure good stewardship. That means they're going to take a look at the preacher and say, is he really worth his salt? <laughs> or is the ministry that we are investing in really doing what they say they're doing? And is it really worth all the dollars that we send if they're not really accomplishing their goals? They're aware of the church's role in resourcing the spread of the gospel and meeting the physical needs of the needy. Hey, we've got a, we've, we're a part of this as a body of believers and we need to contribute. That's who they are. They contribute to the unity, by see, uh, unity of the church by seeking confirmation of need. They're not going to just go out and just drop it anywhere. They're going to they're gonna check it out and say, you know, is that a real need or, or is, there, is that just a puff of smoke on the horizon? They're going to check it out. He who leads with diligence. Again, this is a compound word. And the first word, uh, first part of that word, proistemi, is pro. It means uh, before. Histemi is to place or to stand. To stand before, to place before, makes sense. That's where a leader is, right? They're out in front. It's interesting to me that they are placed before. Leadership must be given before it can be taken. If it's simply taken, it will usually lead to tyranny. Leadership is something we invite others into and ask them to participate in. Now, to be placed before also, I love this, has, ha, uh, I, it, it, it reminds me of the word, the New Testament word offering, prosphara. Hebrews 10.10. 10. By this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It is a laying before. That's real good leadership. When they lay themselves before as an offering to those they are leading, that's the spirit of of spirit-directed, God-empowered leadership. Now, let them lead with diligence. Let them lead with zeal because leaders can lose heart. They can become discouraged. Let Let them lead with earnestness because... Leaders can lose focus. You know, the truth is, being out front, they can be proud and sometimes be focused on themselves. Let them lead with seriousness because leaders can lose the reverence for the spiritual call of leadership. They can become disillusioned. That's what this word diligence means. Lead with zeal, earnestness, seriousness. Leaders are very important in the church. When they're walking in the Spirit, they help clarify the vision and create, an organiz- uh, and create organization to achieve the vision. They help in maintaining and coordinating various ministries in the body. They can coordinate without being an expert. Huh. How do you like that? They're able to make things happen without actually knowing everything about it because they're organizers. They're able to, to coordinate people. They exercise faith in projects and and desired outcome. They tend to stand on the sidelines until those in charge give them the responsibility to take leadership. Again, that's the idea of being placed in leadership, especially if things are going well. They will assume responsibility if no structured leadership exists. In other words if they're a leader and they see chaos happening, they're going to put themselves out there and take a risk and say, guys, let's do this and this and this, and you line up here and we'll get it all done. They will assume, uh, let's see, they may continue, they may contribute personal resources to aid the success of a project. Now, last one, mercy. We're coming into the home stretch here. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The word mercy means to show kindness or concern for one or many in need. And I have to say that I think this is one of the, I, they're, the all of these are absolutely necessary for the life and vitality of the church. But too often I think the gift of mercy is overlooked or put at the bottom of the list somehow as less important. And I have to tell you, I think it's one of the most important gifts in the church. The reason is because they are essential for maintaining the ministry of the church to the least of these. Being sensitive to the needs of these who are the least is an irreplaceable component of the evidence that we know jesus personally all you have to do is read matthew chapter 25 and the parable of the sheep and the goats and there you see jesus saying to the sheep come enter the enter the joy of the lord and and because when i was hungry you gave me something to eat when i was in prison you came to visit me etc and and they say but lord when would we see you hungry? When would we see you in prison? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It's tied to our salvation. Whoa. That's heavy stuff. But then he turns to his left and he says, you goats, get out of here. Because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was in prison, You didn't come visit me. Oh, but Lord, Lord, when when did we see you hungry and in prison? We didn't. Are you hungry now, Lord? There's a McDonald's right across the street. I'll be right back. And he says, no. Because when you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it. And then what does he say? He says, go into outer darkness. Folks, that is, this mercy gift is absolutely critical for us as a church to stay in touch with the heart of Christ, to be his hands and feet And his heart. Do you realize in the Old Testament the measure of success of of the the children of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, the measure of, of success is how well they cared for the orphan and the widow and the sojourner. This is very, very important to God. Now, he says, he who gives with cheerfulness or he he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Why cheerfulness? I mean, the word actually could be translated with hilarity. (laughs) Oh, this is awesome. Well, quite honestly, because they need help with that. They're dealing with, with people who are in distress over and over again and gladness is essential to keep them from being overwhelmed and taken under by the undertow of need that is so overwhelming. Now, I'd invite you to read the rest of this chapter, verses 9 through 21. It's very clear that Paul is talking to the church here. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. He's not talking about to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. In the context of these gifts, he's saying be diligent. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and to, to be about God's business You see, these gifts, these instructions and the reminder of the fact that we all have different gifts is meant to enrich and fulfill us as individuals and a collective body of believers, not to entrench and to frustrate us because we're different. There's a caution here that The mention of these differing gifts is to help us understand that we uh, and work with each other, not to box one another in. Too often understanding, and and you may experience some of this as you look through this handout further, too often understanding these differences, um, I've, I've seen it happen. It can lead. To people saying well you're in that box you're just a prophet you see everything in black and white or you're just a mercy person and you're just a bleeding heart all the time and we put people in boxes and that's not what this is about it's about the fact that we need one another we have to have one another and all of these gifts Verses 9 through 21 underscore liberty, not control. Each one of these gifts is a part of who we are together, and each one is essential. And at the bottom of each page here, you'll see that all believers are called to exhibit the characteristics of each of these gifts. Now, the reality is is that some of us, with these There's probably one, maybe two, maybe three that come really natural to us. But we're called to exhibit the characteristics of all of them. Ephesians chapter 4, we looked at it last week. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. All of these people who are involved in these ministries we'll have one or more of these gifts. There are some who would say that each believer has one gift and one gift only. Eh, I'm more inclined to say each believer probably has a dominant gift, but there are secondary and tertiary gifts that come alongside because that's part of what it means to grow up into the image of Christ because Jesus exhibits all of these gifts in perfection and we're called to grow up into the fullness of the image of Christ so they will exercise these gifts in their ministries in various ways and second corinthians excuse me first corinthians 12 we were there last week Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. These gifts here in Romans 12 will be expressed through the manifestation of the Spirit as the Holy Spirit leads at any time in any place. I hope this gives you a sense of understanding about uh, 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 how the gifts of the Spirit work in the church. They are for our benefit as a body of believers. And they are for our enjoyment, even if you will, as individuals. God's very interested in every single one of us doing and being who he's created us to be and do. Let's pray together.